Hi, this is Burning Heron. Hey, this is Dole. Hey, I'm Melonbread. This is William Roy. Hey, this is Kevin. Hey, this is Jake Cook, and welcome to the Green Box. During this episode, we were plagued by various audio and other technical difficulties. We're working on it. On tonight's episode, we've got a post-mortem discussion of the 2018 R Night at the Opera Set Piece Contest, talk about the winners, some of our favorites, and our own entries. Then we talk about how Delta Green handles prosecution and offer a unique twist on making criminal prosecution an ordeal for your agents. Finally, we discuss character versus character interactions, specifically when things turn hostile. So our uh, first set piece contest just ended at Reddit Night at the Opera, and I uh, wanted to do a little postmortem on that. Uh, so, Will, you you are the uh, the straight man here because you did not submit an entry. Correct. So I'm curious what you thought of the whole process and what if you read any of the entries and what you thought. Uh, I I didn't read very many of the entries actually. I had a lot of uh, a lot of work stuff on my plate. Didn't really have a chance. I did read uh, there was a firefight. I read, oh, there was another one that I read, I can't remember the name, I actually can't remember anything about it, but I know that I read a different one. The answer to your question is no, I didn't look at them all too closely at all. Wow, thanks for all your support. Wow. Well, it's, I mean, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what did you, I mean, obviously there was a lot of discussion, we had a separate channel set up in the Discord, people talk about it, um, the, uh, the ideas and the way we did things were kind of crowdsourced for better or worse. I think we talked about that at some point, but what, uh, so you said you read, this was a firefight. What did you think about that one? I thought it was a cool idea. Um, I would have liked to use it, but I would have had to sit down, like go through it in much more detail before I was comfortable enough to actually use it. If I did that, I would love to use it. In one of my games. It's great. I was actually surprised that it didn't win. I used a earlier version of that at Gen Con, actually. That's right, you did. Uh, and I, much to my dismay, because I was running my other game at that time, so I didn't actually get to see it in in uh, in action. So it worked really well for. Uh, we basically I drew a map like as things were unfolding, and then I was erasing the map, and like by the end of it, we had a crime scene built up. I didn't follow his rules exactly because every time someone died, it would inter- it was interspersed by uh, by one of the actual agents that's a player character, uh, you know, like holding up their finger to a bullet hole in the side of a car and saying, "Ah, oh, shooter was over there," or you know, something like that. It was really neat, though. I wonder if if that uh, if the, there was a firefight could be condensed in like a single page, like a cheat sheet that the handler could run through real quick and fill out like their important parts and then use the rest of that one page to run it. Assuming they've read the source material a few times, could run it kind of off a single page. That would be a really useful uh, handler item. I'll say pretty unequivocally, I would love to play in a scenario that used that. There's basically no way that I would ever run it myself because the density of extra rules it requires the handler to master is too high for me. It is excellent in every way except that I would not use it because it is too complicated for me. Well, our definition of a set piece was very location-based, and as the contest went on, we started to get set pieces that were a little more rules-focused, like here's an additional set of rules to create a specific type of scene, rather than here's a location you can run a couple different scenes in. There were some ones that surprised me that were 
not places. So, but in the beginning, I was having a hard time coming up with a an example. I mean, for example, Mellenberg Federal Agent Counter Investigation is a good example of a non-location set piece because you're kind of forced as your players make more and more egregious er- er- efforts in their campaign to be like, all right, I gotta counter counteract this somehow. All right, let me pull this out of the back and start adding in these little bits here and there. And that came in fifth place pretty high. Everyone here except for Will submitted entries. Um, obviously, my entry was the fire department. The reason I did that was, one, I feel like fire is just such a go-to solution for agents that I wanted handlers to have some sort of way to realistically push on that. Because it seems like in every game where agents have things on fire, it's just, all right, we throw the Molotov cocktail, walk away, and everything's great. There's never any aftermath, or they're never caught. In the, in the fire with the fire department showing up, having to explain why they're there. They're never, like, that never happens. And I wanted to give people an option for that to happen to their, do that, do that to, to their players. I will ask what your rationale was behind the panoply of percentage bonuses that you inserted into that scenario that you can get from the use of certain fire department issue equipment. And, I mean, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't write a scenario. I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a set piece. This is why everybody was jumping on you during the discussion, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I just wanted some interesting mechanics behind it. A good example, it's a good example of how the steppies could be used outside of a fire was, Will, you had some players in one of your games at Gen Con who wanted to steal an ambulance, is that correct? I did, yes. So if you'd had this, you know, printed out in your, in the back of your mind and had at least skimmed it before, you could have pretty quickly had a ready to go, you know, ambulance stealing counter where you had people's statistics and you have a name of a guy they could meet while they're doing it. That's kind of why I designed it. And the reason I gave the vehicle some stats is I wanted just more than just a random, yeah, well, there's fire trucks in here. So let's give them some interesting mechanics. You know, that would not have occurred to me to use it that way, but you're absolutely right. I, I'd do that just for the chance to beat up some firefighters. <laughs> wow. Are you sure that that's the direction you want to take given the spread of characters at our night at the opera, our firefighters, you're bringing your fists to an axe fight, son. Somebody asked, you asked why I included so many statistics. A few of the things I put in there because it's it's come up in games I played and there aren't any rules for them, like the STBAs, the self-contained breathing apparatus. So I was like, well, I mean, firefighters have these and they use them to go into buildings. So if a player ever wants to go into a burning building for some sort of scenario, I want to give them an option to be able to mitigate the effects for an amount of time. Or, you know, ambulances are pretty well kitted out. So if you really needed, you know, that life-saving trauma, that trauma in a hurry, and you call nine one one and you pull a gun on the ambulance driver, and you're like, "Patch my buddy up." What does that mean? They're gonna, you know, they're gonna be a little better at the, your average doc, at your average, you know, first aid role. So I wanted to give a, give them a bonus there. So I just wanted to throw some rules at it. It's nice. I we tried to stat out like uh, the firefighters turnout gear because like. Uh, it's it's in the book, but it doesn't have stats in the agent's handbook. So we kind of crowdsourced that one, and we, we turned it into two armor, but it reduces fire intensity, which I think means you, it's not going to stop bullets like Kevlar would, but it means you can go into a fire or, or be closer to a fire and take less damage from it, which is the ideal point of turnout gear. Right, because in the game it describes moderate fire versus light fire or something like that, and you just t- turn it down a step. Uh, so, Melon, you submitted a couple couple set pieces. Do you want to talk about any of those? Yeah, I did three entries. I did the Federal Agent Counter-Investigation. I did the one with the, the knife-wielding uh, person that comes to your hotel. And I did one about uh, shootouts between more than potentially two involved parties. 
Uh, that one was my favorite, the big gun down. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you are the only person who liked it. Uh, Federal Agent Counter Investigation was, was the one that I wrote that people liked the best. I think that your Federal Agent Counter Investigation and my The Gang Goes to Prison, they were just kind of an expansion on a brief set of rules that's listed in the Agent's Handbook. I don't want to say that they're better, but they're certainly more entertaining or they add more oomph to scenarios where you're following less of the narrativist structure and more of like a a referential like role for everything type structure yeah they're more dramatic it kind of expands those interactions out beyond one or two die rolls i think what's what's interesting about it is there's a lot of ways and actually i mean in my set piece was designed kind of in the same mindset we've all seen games where players have gone totally sideways and not really faced realistic consequences which is fine if that's the way you want to play it as a handler but sometimes you don't want to play it that way and you're kind of stuck because you don't have a good way to push back without just being capricious. So this gives you a non-capricious way to push back with some rules, with some stuff with where players can, can beat the new threat and also tone themselves down. So that's why it works pretty well. The intent with the Federal Agent Counter-Investigation is that everything that they do is supposed to be signposted in some way as like warnings to the players. And that is, I think, aimed at exactly what you just said with making an obstacle that doesn't just come out of nowhere so they don't get just get to the final whatever in the scenario and then immediately get FBI HRT at the very end or they don't get all they'll get arrested during their home scenes and they can't defend themselves unless it's the result of something that they did during the scenario knowing that they were being watched or having several opportunities to figure out what was happening to them well, I've always said that bad dice rolls shouldn't kill you, so I would get really pissed if I if a dice roll in a home scene killed my character, but a bad decision will. So if I you know, if, if I made a bunch of bad decisions, you know, knowing that I'm being watched and being still you know, overly aggressive and then I got killed, alright, so be it. So that was my first submission. That was actually my second submission. My first submission was one that I had an idea for it was something that I was going to use in a specific scenario, but I actually didn't like the scenario very much and I ran it and never had a chance to use it. Now, this item was a set piece where someone from the cult or the agency or the crime ring or whatever that you're investigating gets super high or hypnotized or otherwise not in a right state of mind and goes to your hotel with a small knife and tries to break in and stab you in the middle of the night. And the intention is not that they kill you. The intention is that they provoke you into shooting them. And then you just kill, you know, a prostitute or a college student or whoever who is armed with a knife, a toy gun, whatever, outside your hotel room in the middle of the night. And even if you're a federal agent and will face no legal consequences for that, because you can kill anyone you want and get away with it, that's still, your supervisor's going to say, all right, fatal shooting, you're off whatever case you're on, or you are supposed to be on vacation, what the fuck were you doing? You've got the police now staring down, breathing down your neck. You've got your ability to actually investigate things using your badge is curtailed. I don't actually know what the exact federal policy is for all that or what all the local department policies are, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of these jurisdictions will suspend you after a shooting no matter what, no matter whether they think you were justified or not, because that's just their policy. It's like a union thing. You go on, like, administrative leave most of the time while they investigate, at least. It depends on the police department. <laughs> it could go it could range from nothing to actual discipline. In fairness, I think that being suspended even with pay, is slightly, slightly more of a punishment than people think it is for police officers because a lot of police officers depend on overtime to make their financial situation work. Yes. 
Like, they plan around having a certain number of extra hours, and if they can't get those, it's bad for them. Yes. It's not necessarily an appropriate punishment for just murdering another human being and getting away with it, but it's more of a punishment than nothing at all, and I think people don't quite realize that. I actually don't know if federal if agents have... work OT, my kids don't get Christmas, and then it negatively affects your bonds. That's, a good, that's another good mechanic that to just kind of slap onto something, is that being suspended even legitimately can negatively affect a police officer's life. So that's my entry there. That entry is something that you can really only use once, but is designed to be used with players who are probably very difficult to kill in a straight fight and very eager to shoot at things. Because, Ellen Dilly, you mentioned a master strategy that you came up with for teaching the police officer to be more cautious, where you gave uh, a knife or a gun or whatever, a prop to his child, and said, run towards that man and, and say, look what I found. Yes, getting a cop to shoot his own child in training is a great way to drive home. Look at your target before you shoot. Wow. <laughs> maybe I'm an asshole, but it works. That is a lesson not soon forgotten. This is a Delta Green version of that. It's not, you know, the agent's own child that's been hypnotized, but you can make it that way it if you really be, wanted yeah. to. It really could be. The intention with this scenario is that there's a, a little mini reward for not killing them, where if you you wrestle them or you just let them feebly try to stab you for D4 damage with a 30% chance to hit, or, you know, you just lock the door and they don't have craft locksmith, so they try to kick it in and they can't do it. Eventually, they their dumbass calms down. They feel that maybe they made a poor choice by trying to kill four heavily armed federal agents in a hotel room, and they might give you some useful information about who it is that sent them to do this thing. It's built with a threat, a solution that rewards a certain play style and a way to move the scenario forward once you're completed with it. And I like that. And I like the fact that it, again, it's a way to curtail overzealous players by making them either making them decide whether they're going to calm themselves down or be super aggro and, you know, suffer the consequences. So I like that. I will also say that uh, players being very aggressive is not necessarily something that you want to punish outright. I think punish was probably the word that I should not have used, but more that it is a play style that can be very frustrating to GM for or can make designing things very difficult. I don't think that any of this stuff that I'm talking about with risk versus reward is a substitute for having for telling the players if it's something that really bothers you. Well, and and again, this is a, a good example of. I mean, so now that we've now that we've had 16 set pieces to look at, uh, it's I can point to some really good examples. You know, your players hold up the night for the hotel. They've been on a bender the whole game. You as a handler are like, I gotta curtail this aggressive streak. It's 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 making the game. It's ruining the scenario. It's ruining the game, and I've gotta figure it away. So you can be like, well, all right, you've read this this week before, but you haven't looked at it recently. So like, while you're pulling it up on your phone, you can be like, well, you get a you hear a knock on the door. All right, look at the peephole. See someone with a knife. That, that you can start it there. And if they shoot while well, you're quickly pulling through, their, you know, skimming the rest of the set piece here to figure out the hard rules for it, you've already got the beginning in your head. And to the players, you've planned this from the whole time, and it's a seamless transition. So it works well if in that regard. And does anyone else have anything uh, salient points so I can go to my third one, and then someone else gets to talk? No, I'd like to hear you talk about uh, the big gun down, aka my favorite one. Okay, the big gun down, aka uh, rules for like standoffs and stuff, was my third entry, and it was an entry that I submitted because it was rules that I'd always wanted to use but never got a chance. And in this one, it's designed to force people to choose what they're going to do in a conflict before they get to see what everyone else is doing. 
so that if there's two players who are, you know, about to shoot each other, or even a player and an NPC, but some of the other players in the group might not be on the player's side, everyone writes down what they're going to do before they do it on the first round of combat, and then execute those actions without having an opportunity to change them. So it's a bit like the way World of Darkness handles initiative, except that you don't declare in reverse order, you declare in secret. And I really like that, and I would probably use that for any tense moment where the players are table talking a little too much. You could easily be like, alright, everybody shut up, write your stuff down, and we're doing it. The only thing that strikes me on that is that someone with a lower dex order should have a chance to, like, you know, so if they say, right, I'm going I'm to shoot the guy in the face, uh, and then four actions go by, and now, now it's obvious they shouldn't shoot the guy in the face, there should be an option because they're going seconds later to like pull their shot, even if it's like, all right, make a deck times five check uh, to see if you can stop yourself at the last second or whatever. But now we're getting into like a complex rule set of like what's too far from the first action and kind of a lot there. So if if I was going to be uh, like if I was grading these all from from my golden throne on high, what I would say is so what you should have done is made a warehouse set piece which had a bunch of tension in it where the players have holed up after you know. After some sort of tense engagement, now there's a uh, there's dispersion, and now the you know uh, Mexican standoff erupts because some some players have thought the other ones are bad or whatever. So I would have worked this into something else. I don't mind it being last because uh, I wrote three things, and when you write the more things, the probability of one of them being last goes up by absolute definition. There was a pretty strong tendency among people to to consider a set piece to be a location, and I don't think that's correct. All the other things that people voted it down on are completely fair because it really is just a just a a single mechanic rather than a what do you call it? it's not eerie it's not uh, whether it fits thematically with Delta Green is pretty arbitrary. Well, my thing for that set piece was we've already established yeah it was heavily tilted for location based set pieces and that was by design, but I also think there was a lot of in favor of just atmosphere. And for me personally, the big gun down was really just a list of rules that didn't have much atmosphere going for it. Oh, not at all. Yeah, you're you're correct there. I'm glad that I did a lot of entries because I mean I got to vote. Meant I got to vote in a lot of entries. The thing that I liked about this contest a lot was that it forced everyone to give feedback because I don't know if I'm the only one here on my shotgun scenario contest entries did not get pretty much any feedback during the contest. I got it from the people I playtested the scenarios with. I got it maybe a year later when I heard that some people had been running some of the content that I wrote, but the contest itself does not provide any feedback. I know that I saw Dole trying to bait people into giving feedback on the RPPR chat about his, because what are you supposed to do? There's The only thing you know is how many people voted for it, and you don't you didn't even know that this year. So that's a, 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 one of the reasons I wanted to do it in, in this way, because... You know, I think even the even the number one uh, winner, who we're going to get to in a second, I have a feeling that, and Heron back me up on this, you might take, you would like to take some of that feedback and do a rewrite pass and make it better. Am I am I off base on that? For my entry specifically, or just as a general principle? Yeah, for for Coney Island carpets. Like, do do you plan on taking the feedback you were given and doing a rewrite? Uh. There actually wasn't a lot of suggestions on how to improve. I have one or two ideas of things I would change, but. For the most part, I'm pretty happy with it. Heron, why don't you tell us a little bit about Coney Island Carpets since since you won? I mean, you won. Tell us about your award-winning uh, set-piece contest. Yeah, I really liked yours, Heron. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I only submitted one entry, and apparently people really latched onto that. Uh, my set-piece is called Coney Island Carpets, 
and the idea is that it the location is almost secondary. It's essentially a profile of uh, a crime gang. You can slot in for any small-time gang. The idea is that they are a carpet cleaning company that secretly cleans up bodies and crime scenes for the Russian mafia. And so there's a couple of NPCs, there's a map and details of their offices. Uh, a big piece of it is actually the idea that maybe, maybe your players don't want to take these guys down. Maybe your players want to have these people in their back pockets so they can they can purchase their services and an NPC will come and clean up your site set piece. Uh, sorry, your crime scene. I do like the fact that, I mean, I, I said it earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, uh, players tend to just set fire to everything. So if they knew they had a cleaning company they could call in instead, it might be a, a better solution, but then they got to like, there's time involved. They got to make sure the scene stays secure long enough. So they got a way, do we just burn this and run away and have this be a big deal? Or do we make this thing go away quietly? with this cleaning company that we only, maybe we have a tangential relationship with, or maybe they're, we don't trust them hundred percent. You know, what do we do here? So I really like that about it. Yeah. Thank you. And something I've been learning as I write more scenarios is I kind of like, uh, more interactions with NPCs. So there are some rules just for kind of contacting the, the boss of this company and letting him know, I know you guys do illegal shit and I'm okay with that. I want to purchase your services. So there's a little bit of negotiation involved. And whenever these guys clean a scene, there's a secret role. And I think I said it's only on a fumble that the players are ever implicated, but it still kind of leaves room for the scene to be discovered and the players to sweat it out over whether this is going to come back to haunt them. I like that you gave some some life to the NPCs because, again, thinking about this in the ideal, the ideal case is I'm going to pull this out last minute and want to seamlessly drop it into my current game. If I if I have some real quick hints on this guy, you know, is easy to deal with, or he, he's a hard ass, or he drinks too much, or whatever the case may be, I can very quickly work that in into my players. It looks like it's a seamless transition that I planned the whole time. And really, uh, I did not. So having that motivations and stuff is really helpful. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I wanted there to be a lot of kind of dangling little things you could latch onto, and any one of them you could use that as the entry point to the scenario. I think uh, what I like the most about it is that it has a lot of atmosphere. You've got people kind of at odds with the, with each other within the cleaning company, like the secretary who will can be convinced to work with the players or the uh, just the different ways that you can interact with it as an agent. It's interesting. Uh, the atmosphere is really good, especially that you gave it a physical location to uh, investigate if it ever came down to that you know but the thing about it is it, it can be transported anywhere it can it's it's you know it's not coney island cleaners now it's it's magic city cleaners and it's in birmingham alabama or whatever i use the name coney island cleaners because a proto version of these guys were antagonists in a different scenario i ran in new york city and so i just kind of lifted the name from there and i added in the backstory well the boss used to be a gangster living in New York, so he just stole the name from his time living in New York. I liked it. I like the I always, always, always like the use of the term cleaner to refer to someone in a shady criminal organization. I think it started with Leon the Professional, but it's also used in Killer Seven by Garcin Smith. 
and there was a great article, not article actually, it was a module that I got for Free RPG Day for Call of Cthulhu, and in that module the player characters work for like an actual cleaning company, and it said in the notes, make sure your players know that this is an actual cleaning company and not a shadowy criminal organization, because we've had playtesters think that they were actually supposed to murder the owner of the house. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. But then... Heron, I wanted to ask you because I don't have the thing open in front of me right now. Is there are there is there any suggestion given that these people can do legitimate crime scene cleanup for the real law enforcement? Uh, that was actually something I went back and forth on a lot when I was writing it, and I eventually decided against it because I thought it would be I thought it would be too suspicious if they were legitimately licensed for bio recovery, which is the official term for crime scene cleanup it's bio recovery even if there's no biology like if it's just a cartridge casing and a hole in the wall uh no this is just for like medical waste or like biological substances yeah so uh i guess they could do that they do some general contracting this place is loosely loosely based on a place i used to work at uh that did that actually did official bio recovery but i was never on those jobs um yeah i wanted my ultimate ruling was I didn't want them to do actual crime scene cleanup because I thought that would put them in more contact with the police. And so they would be much more suspicious if something happened in proximity to them. I like that idea. And I like the, if, if you if you chose to make them be actual, um, crime, you know, bio recovery experts, then your law enforcement character might know them. So it could be a way for you to throw a character who are stuck a bone. Or like hemming and hawing over cleanup. Hey, haven't you used a cleaning company before? And the guy was like, you remember he had some kind of, he had gang tats or whatever. Like, isn't that a little strange? You know, maybe he would, uh, maybe he would do this one on the slide, that sort of thing. Right. So it gives you an option, but you don't have to. Yeah. Cause it's not meant to be terribly difficult to figure out these people work for the mob. I figure they're a very low level antagonist. And so, yeah, that would be just immediate red flag if these guys you figure out their criminal histories and they're legitimately cleaning up crime scenes. They're supposed to be a little bit under the radar. Two things I would change are uh, the office manager who is terrified because she's just realized she works for the mob. I think I would change a little bit of her backstory because realizing it, I think I said she's worked there for eight years and it seems really unlikely to me you could work for these guys for eight years without realizing what they're up to i mean maybe she's just really naive (laughs) it's possible but i kind of want to make her like age her down a little bit so she's probably just out of college and the other thing is i think some of the i think some of the scenario hooks are kind of weak i feel like one of them explicitly is we've set out all this behavior and the things they're likely to do but they throw that out the window to do this other thing instead so it's interesting. I mean, aside, aside from Malinbred, oh, unless we have a he's a dark secret he's hiding from us. The the rest of us here kind of wrote about things we were pseudo familiar with. Uh, you know, you wrote about kind of loosely based on a job you had. I wrote about fire department stuff, which is you know very close to, to what I'm working on. And then uh, Jake, you also wrote about something something that was kind of near and dear to your prof- profession as well. Yeah, it's pretty portable anywhere that there's mayhem or drunk drivers or just people speeding around that's the police roadblock it could be used either as sort of a not a red herring maybe like a spoof or a hoax you know just something to make the players sweat you know they just burned a building down uh the anytown usa fire department deployed and put the fire out but uh 
are are they looking for the player's car? So you could put it there and it'd just be like a harmless DUI checkpoint. Or it could be that they're actually looking for the players. And I gave some profiles and some insight into like the different types of cops that I know and put them out there. The police sergeant, the veteran officer, the, the canine, the rookie, the SWAT guy. You know, they're all there. They're all kind of profiled to give you like different attitudes you can portray. So I I love the idea that after a really tense scenario, you can put this you can put this at the end, and you can make this a totally mundane, just an everyday kind of check police check, and the players will freak out so the players would go so bad freaked out about this and would go so crazy, they would probably do something really stupid like speed away or fumble some sort of persuasion role they don't even need to make, and you could just totally totally let your players drive into this trap and then spring it on themselves, and I really like that. Or you could do the other way around. If they're not worried, uh, one of one of them almost gets uh, sicarioed by a bent cop. We already did an episode on how you would uh, adjust last things last, but this is how I would do it, actually. I would, as they're driving home from the cabin covered in blood, maybe somebody's got their throat cut open. They're just so ready to be home and be done with this terrible night, and then they see the line of lights up ahead. So, so I like this. This is, again, it's another good example of something you can throw out really quickly. Um, and I really love that you gave us, if you want to make this all legitimate, make, just make them regular regular police guys. If you want to make it kind of intense, you can make them like an ant of SWAT guys. So I do like that you gave us some options there. I don't know how necessary this actually is, but the one thing I would, I would think of for a roadblock is, first of all, explain to me with police doctrine, how likely are there to actually be SWAT at a roadblock? And the document it says SWAT special use only likely to be on scene if agents have made their very dangerous presence known okay and the, they would know that the agents were going that way yeah well no because when I when I think of, of of big dig G's with automatic weapons and such at roadblocks I think like National Guard I think that's the, the logical conclusion to this so that would be the next entry higher is hey what if one of them just has a, a Vietnam surplus AT, not an AT4 uh, law Oh, uh, you know, maybe that's something I should add in as a rewrite. Like, that's just ridiculously... The highest level of thing possible is that they see the, the agents trying to ram it and they fucking shoot him with a rocket launcher. You could also maybe give us some options on, like, if the player try to run it, what's going to chase them? Is it just, like, two patrol cars? Is there, you know, a uh, couple, you know, unmarked, you know, suburban-type vehicles? Is there, like, a, you know, is this concrete barriers that have been put down? Ooh, uh, Air One, the helicopter... Yeah, does it have helicopter support? Yeah, so you can give us some options on being chased. But I mean, I think oh, it's almost like police chase is another set piece you want to write. Yeah, no, you know, I could. I was really happy that we got, you know, we got 16 submissions. That was awesome. For a while, we only had like two, and I was like, well, this is a disgusting failure. But uh, we got a lot of submissions, a lot of different stuff. So I'm pretty happy with how it went. Yeah, I liked it a lot. There weren't any entries that I thought were terrible. There were a lot of entries, and. I like the ones that won. I think that they were good. I think they deserve to win. Obviously, there's also other scenarios that I really like that people wrote. I gotta open up the list again. But uh, the other two winning scenarios, people can just look, but were uh, Only Rock and the Beetle Lab. Yeah, Only Rock was one of my favorite ones, too, because it was just so... It had so much atmosphere. Same, I love that one. It's really, really good, but it is a scenario, not a set piece. Well, he presented the options where it could be either. How would you slot a completely remote island with, like, one fishing boat a year that visits it into an existing scenario? No, you gotta go get something off the island. Yeah, I think with Only Rock specifically, 
it's probably big enough that it would be better served as part of a campaign. Any other thoughts on the set-piece contest? How's it going to influence the way that we vote on the next contest that we run? Do you have any ideas? I think the only the only thing I know for sure is I want some way for people to provide feedback, because I think that's, as Melon has said, that's kind of invaluable. A rubric made people keep things objective, but it also, we did shoot ourselves in the foot with, with a rubric that was not 100%, but we could just do a better job next time. If you recall our scenario contest, we just did a, a pick your favorite, but we did it via ranked, you know, uh, for, we didn't use the first past the post system. Maybe we just say, hey, you know, what's your first choice? Why? You know, what do you, what, you know, give me a, a few sentences about your first choice. What's your second choice? Give me a few sentences about your second choice, you know. And even if we got a little more crazy and said, all right, you know, put your number one choice here. What do you like about it? What didn't you like? You know, two things. But even just why is probably good enough. Because that would allow people who want to critique it will fill that box in. And people who don't will just be like, oh, I thought it was cool. I, I like that idea a lot more, too. Because it achieves the objective here. We wanted to make things good, and we wanted to get criticism and comments on our creations. <laughs> and we'd achieve both uh, ranking and getting those comments. Chief, we recorded a bit a while ago on... And by a while ago, I mean you're listening to it right now on our set piece entries. And you had a set piece entry that rather than introducing a new location, introduced a new mechanic to replace one or supplement one in the book that you felt was not interactive enough. Yeah, yeah. uh, It came down because and I drew inspiration from something that happened in one of your games a long time ago, Kevin. It was uh, the game where my, one of my characters stole some Nazi gold and sent somebody else off to go coordinate with uh, some federal authorities about busting the the Nazi wizard. And the guy that got sent off, the guy that got sent off, ended up being uh, held accountable for uh, the fiasco that insulted or it resulted in uh, five like federal agents dying and like a bunch of civilians like being hurt and stuff like that. And yeah, you uh, you hold that character off to like Guantanamo or something like that. And you know, when you look at the prosecution rules that are outlined in the agent's handbook, it comes down to like a luck roll. Uh, sometimes a law roll can help boost the luck roll, right, and it's right. just like one roll. And I I didn't right, like right. that at all. I don't think that's fair. And I think you've said it yourself, Kevin, that players actions should be what their characters are held accountable for not like a single dice roll i think what i usually say is that bad dice won't kill you but bad decisions absolutely will the rules in the book are i think designed to be fast and simple yeah it's the whole argument of like narrativism versus crunch so tell us about the way that you would handle it to make it more interactive tell us about your set piece so first of all you have to determine you know is this uh, is this salvageable you know, the rules sometimes say, you know, your agent should just shut up and maybe the program can bail them out of prison. And that's well and all, but that just isn't fun. So instead, what I had was like, here's here's like the rough framework for a trial. I took the negotiation rules from Red Markets, uh, reflavored it, reskinned it, and it's now uh, basically opposed legal roles between a program-friendly lawyer and... Uh, 
which you can give like that character to the person who's been arrested and is now on trial. Meanwhile, like behind the scenes or like through flashbacks, you can have the agents who did not get caught try and assist by covering up evidence, uh, badgering witnesses, uh, those types of things. So you talk about how the other player characters can try to help their buddy on the inside, but what if they are intent on making him into a patsy and can they, can they fumble the evidence in the other direction? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have that in the rules framework, but I mean, do you have rules in the set piece for that? No, no, no. I did not have that specifically in the rules, but you know, that's not a bad idea. I might alter that, uh, add that in as like an option. (laughs) If you want this guy to go away because now it's a PVP game and you're trying to save your own ass. Well, I also think one of the reasons you don't see a lot of rules about this in, in the book is that one of the old rules was basically take the fall and when we need you, we'll bust you out. Otherwise, you know, you're doing your, your country a great service being in jail. So I do wonder if the new rules were written with the same kind of idea of your job is to go to jail. If you look at the fiction, the the head of the program was once in Fort Leavenworth and then they busted him out, gave him a fake identity, and now he's the leader of uh, Delta Green yeah, there's a couple characters that are like that, because uh, there's that guy, and then there's, uh, what's her name, uh, Oaks was also one that Anero Delta did that to. So both of them, yeah, she's, they're basically like the two, like, elite impossibles who just kill everybody, and both of them had the same thing happen, which was they were uh, incarcerated, and then they said, when you come out, we're going to induct you into our secret conspiracy. I mean... I think the point of that was kind of it's just as easy to get someone out as it is to sweep them under the rug. Well, Chief, one of the com- one of the comments that I had on your set piece was that you use the term uh, black site to refer to what happens to terrorists. And you use the example of Guantanamo, but Guantanamo, I'm pretty sure, like, people there are at least in the system somewhere. And, like, an actual black site, black site is it's like in a foreign country because Guantanamo is U.S. property. An actual black site is, is off the books, and if you put someone there and they were to just get out the next day, no one would really know except the people responsible for that site and maybe a couple other people in the intelligence apparatus. Yeah, yeah. No, I took the comment and criticism from the contest, and I did change that to military detention uh, in that, you know, their rights would be stripped away under the National Defense Authorization Act or the Patriot Act or, you know, whatever legal act is currently in place at the time of your gameplay you get your rights stripped away you get thrown into military detention you get interrogated and tortured until they get what they want out of you which might be uh another operation if you want to uh go in and try and and shut that guy up or you know bail him out or whatever which is an option uh if you're at a black site or military detention as well i think that was the comment you had that if it's a black site there's nothing stopping them from just waiting and, and bargaining with the person who's in charge of the black side. Yeah. You know, I think also one of the really fun parts about this, not just black sites is when you get incarcerated by a foreign government entirely, which I personally had happen to one of my characters or agents for stupid reasons. But cause I think, you know, there's a lot more potential for uh kind of cool role play to go on and sanity loss and all kinds of stuff like that from torture. Because my personal story was that for that was that I uh, I got shot a bunch and knocked out while trying to grab a weapon and during a Chinese screw up. So I I think uh, the prosecution rules in Delta Green are unrealistic as it is because 
uh, we often joke about it here. Federal agents don't really suffer consequences for their actions when they're on the job. But it does, you know, generally Delta Green, the the disbelief you suspend is about, you know, the, the flying Cthulhu monster that you're currently trying to shoot at. So it can be kind of uh, odd when you're when when you're a law enforcement officer who shoots a bunch of people in a crowded street to get the you know the the mythos monster then faces these harsh consequences which you're like in reality I would never face these consequences so that can be a little disconcerting. Uh, this has been brought up before about how you know in reality police and uh, law enforcement and the U.S. government can kind of get away with anything, and uh, it's actually kind of a really sad commentary on humanity as a whole. But my my favorite co- counter comment is about imagining a better world. And uh, even though Delta Green is about imagining the horrifying existential horrors that precede the end of the world, that's that's a better world than right now, maybe. We want to imagine that. <laughs> As usual, I'm looking for some advice on how to handle a, ten- uh, a delicate situation with some players. My normal rule of thumb in role-playing games is that I don't allow PvP. And on d and I don't let people steal from each other. I don't let players fight each other. This is not the kind of game I want to run. It tends to ruin gaming groups. Um, you know, that's the kind of game you want to play. Play with someone else. However, I have a situation coming up in one of my Delta Green games where it's quite likely that one of the agents is going to need to kill one of the other agents. And uh, I'm just curious if you guys have ever had to deal with that or had to resolve that without having players hate each other for it. Well, uh, how personally are they taking it? I mean, since this is a magical hypothetical, let's assume they're taking it both not personally and very personally and discuss the potential different ways to solve these problems. The first thing you need to do is manage expectations, because that is where 90% of these problems come from, is people not understanding that there's different expectations, because if there's one person who's super gung-ho about killing everyone else and other people who don't even understand that's a possibility then it's going to create friction very quickly. So you need to manage that right away. This is a almost like a classical RPG the, problem. The unique problem presented by the Delta Green game system is that, compared to something like D&D, is that in a game like D&D, every character is built to be able to defend themselves. In D&D, even if you are you know, a, a bard that's built as a support or a support wizard or something, you can still defend yourself or escape in a fight. In Delta Green, there are some characters that are built with the assumption that someone else on the team is watching your back, and those people can be killed by the combat-oriented characters instantly, having no chance to defend themselves. Plus, in a game like D&D, you can just straight up say, there's no PvP here, or we're doing a dungeon crawl, you'll never need to shoot each other. But in Delta Green, you know, your character could get infested with brain spiders, or they could break their, you know, have a sanity break and become unstable and, like, legitimately in-game and character need to be dealt with in a PvP way. Well, I wouldn't say it's impossible in D&D, but it's very unlikely to happen in that type of game. Like I was saying, how personal... I mean, there's a certain level of detachment that the social contract carries when you play Delta Green, I feel like. Like, at some point in time... Like, every agent knows that they might end up becoming the mission. Has it come to that point, or is it just, like, their characters don't like each other? I don't know. I mean, let's let's assume that it, it might come to that point in the next session. And uh, I think you hit on something there about the social contract. You know, if I'm planning a four-hour game session, I feel a lot better killing off a character at hour thir- th- 3 plus 30 
than I do killing them at hour zero plus 30. Because then at least they played the full game, you know, they saw what was coming, maybe they had a chance to make some decisions, or maybe they, in character, really leaned into it, which some of the few times I've had characters, like PvP and Delta Green, the person who, who's, the, whose player saw the end coming really leaned into it and made it really enjoyable for everybody, which can make things a lot better than they're obviously not upset about it. The biggest piece of advice I would give uh, players and handlers um, in terms of, like, PvP at your table for Delta Green is, you know, it's okay to, to take a second with your, as a player, and say, like, hey, you know, I realize my character's gone through reservation, and, and, and if he was to get, you know, handled in character, I'm okay with that. Or as a, as a, as a handler, or as a case officer, rather, to say, or handler, I can't get them straight. Oh, boy. <laughs> as the dungeon master, um, being able to say, hey, you know, the action you're about to take will, will probably likely result in the, the other player's thinking that's that you've gone crazy is that something you're okay with because with a new player they may not realize that there's it's like like Dungeons of dragons there's no consequences to any of your actions so <laughs> if they're coming from if they're coming from that world they may not realize that this is an option so get, you know have that second conversation if they're cool with it i mean i've had some pretty cool cinematic um cinematic player deaths and, and player fights so well i think what it comes down to and this can be said for any rpg is that communication is key between players and handlers and uh, handlers and players and players and players. Because, obviously, although that might not have worked in character... What about, like, player versus player actions that aren't just straight up shooting the other player in the back because they've gone crazy? Anybody have any, any uh, experience with those? So, I've got a story there. No, this was uh, at Gen Con, uh, one of the After Hours games I was playing on. There was a special operator type... And then there was an anthropologist, and the anthropologist wanted a gun. And even though he didn't have, but you know, the base firearms, and so like mechanically, you know, the other uh, the the operator asked the anthropologist, "Hey, do you know how this is?" And then like I was like, "Roll firearms to see if you know how to use this pistol." And he failed it. And he was like, "No, he doesn't really know how to, how to use it." So like the operator gave the anthropologist an unloaded pistol, and he didn't realize it at the time. Uh, I like that. So there was like a sabotaging action between the two. And it later on, it culminated into, it was basically fiasco, but as a Delta Green game. So it, like, it made for a very fun, exciting one shot. But, uh, if, you know, if this is a campaign and people have to deal with, uh, the rest of everything, it's, it's not that great. I think the, the answer we're looking for is like, as long as everyone understands, just how deadly the game can be. Manage expectations. Like, PvP is totally fine. I do think there's a, a big difference between the tension between characters, like, screaming about what needs to happen, and then a character actually pulling the trigger on another character. Why do you think I wrote a set piece about deciding who you want to shoot in that moment? The fact that I wrote that set piece is was designed to indicate that I think that's a valid thing to happen in a game, and I think it's interesting to have that moment where they have to choose sides... Listen, we know Melonbread likes in-character conflict because all of his scenarios have Mexican standoffs. That's not necessarily false. All right, so, so we have been accused, probably rightfully so, of being a little uh, handler-centric, probably because all of us handle more than we play. So what can you do as a player in Delta Green to either maximize... So I mean, I guess if you're going to do that, make that PvP action or make that, um, you know in-character in thing, what can you do as a player to make it work and not just be the asshole who ganks another player? Well, I think that my advice in this section would be centered on 
ways that characters who aren't super trigger happy can get even. What can the anthropologist do? What can the scientist do, etc.? What can the doctor do? Because in Delta Green in a straight fight, the guy with the best decks and the best firearms will can literally kill everyone else before they have a chance to respond. So in these situations, the guy with the gun gets his way, which makes sense. That's kind of what it's there for. That's real life. Yeah, exactly. But what can you do, you know, as the character who says, you know, all right, you'll, you know, let the baby have his bottle. You can do it. And then you go back and you, um, the computer science, you plant some stuff on his hard drive or the doctor, you. Yeah, I was hoping you were going this way. Because there's lots of stuff that those types of characters can do. Or my favorite thinking, of, I was thinking about what, um, what can an anthropologist do? And it's like, well, what can the guy who knows how to draw the yellow sign do to someone whose address he knows? I was going to say, you know, something like Withering beats a gun uh, uh, pretty pretty much every time if you get the draw, you know, the, if you do it from a nice secluded room. It's just like Revenge of the Nerds here. Well, the main thing is that I want to enable this style of play without biasing the game more in favor of the high firearms, high decks, uh, super badass than the game already is. Because that's been a running theme on this podcast, is, is how do we make stuff, how do we make engaging puzzles that don't always favor shooting things? You know, uh, there's the dead man switch. That's a good idea, right? That is an excellent idea. That would be, uh, you know, if if I don't enter in this password every 48 hours, uh, there's going to be... The stash of evidence gets... Yeah, it just gets uploaded or sent to your boss or something like that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that's, that's my advice, is if you think you're going to be in that situation and your character is a normal person and not, you know, an elite super badass killing machine... Think about what you have at your disposal and ways to work around your uh, limitations rather than hoping to challenge the opposition directly in a in a, uh, a shooting war, I guess, as they say. And, you know, remember, if you have a high enough persuade, you don't even need the stash of evidence or the computer science to make the kill switch happen. The other guy just has to think you do. So you got a lot of tools in your disposal. You know, like, mechanically, the anthropologist is probably smarter than the, uh, the shooter type, just usually. So, like, maybe it would be, like, Persuade versus Int times 5. Is he really capable of, of having a dead man switch, or does he really have any evidence against me? But that then becomes in-character versus out-of-character knowledge, because if you guys are playing with me, you know I fucking did it. And now that I've had this conversation with you, I know that you fucking did it. <laughs> you know I had to do it, John. Yeah. You, you did say that you did it. Well, I've personally never done that. It's that that just comes down to people having the again the social contract is like don't use out of character knowledge in character. Should we discuss that as a component of PvP? I mean, we should discuss that as a component of all gameplay. Yeah, but specific, specifically in the context of of when it's your guy's life on the line at, as a result of something that someone else is doing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like as a, as a player, I get annoyed when when people met a game, but if my character died because of it. I would go from annoyed to probably leaving that gaming group or that table. So, and as a, as a handler, you're really going to be cognizant of that and say, you know, be able to step in and say, all right, I mean, you may know that as a person, but your character doesn't. Well, my, my favorite question is always, if you see the betrayal coming because the player always betrays people, are you justified in taking action against that even though his character hasn't done anything yet? To- I would say that's a conversation you should have out of game with him or her or them. Hey, look, man, stop being a dick. But what if what if you don't think they're a dick? What if you just think, this time I'm going to be fucking ready for them? 
I mean, I think either way, using using meta to defend yourself and using meta to fuck over another player, both are both are bad. It does seem harmful for like a game group. Just, it'll just creep in, and you'll not be able to separate. I feel like this feeds into a huge discussion about not just in character conflict, but meta gaming and out of character conflict. So what what else can we say about this this time? Well, let's summarize what we've said already. Uh, as long as you manage expectations and the fact that, hey, your actions are going to have consequences, then PvP is fine. Uh, I think I would like to hear about your own PvP experiences. So if you're listening to this and you have a cool story, please share it with us using any any number of the ways we mentioned at the end of this podcast. It doesn't it doesn't have to be a cool story. It can be a story where something went right, or it can be a story where something went wrong and people got pissed off, because that's instructive either way. That was episode six. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'd like to hear your thoughts and ideas. You can join us on the subreddit, our Night at the Opera, or you can hop into the Discord server and chat with other fans of Delta Green. You can find those links, as well as the links for our Facebook page, The Green Box, and for our Twitter, at 9mm Retirement. That's at 9mm Retirement. Until next time, stay frosty.